Good morning, Real Life Church. Hopefully everyone has been having a good week, enjoying some of the cooler weather here, and, uh, and hopefully you've been enjoying walking through the book of Jonah as much as I have. There has been uh, a lot of things that are very exposing, um, very challenging, and, uh, and hopefully you are reading it outside of Sunday morning time, and uh, God's challenging you some incredible ways as we continue to walk through this this really incredible book. Now, if you haven't already discovered, and it's not already very plain and apparent, um, I'm just going to tell you this morning. Um, if you're thinking anything different, then you're, you're wrong. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the reality is, is as you read through the book of Jonah, hopefully you've discovered that everyone in this room or online or on this stage, we are Jonah. Okay? I mean, that... I, I'm just not going to pull any punches. We are Jonah. This is, this, is, this is the seat that we sit in as you read this. Now, now some of you might want to argue against that. You're like, Joel, you don't, you don't even know me. Okay, all right. I don't necessarily know everything about you, but the reality is, is I think that if you begin to look at your life, has there ever been a time where you ran in the complete opposite direction from God? Just, I'm just throwing it out there. Okay, all right, take it for what it's worth. Uh, has there ever been a time where, uh, where the storms of life have been going on around you and you've been, and they've almost seemed invisible? Or you've been, in, it's, it, you, you can't even see the people that you're hurting around you. Uh, has God ever felt silent to you? Have you ever been silent towards God? I mean, uh, think about these moments. As you read this book, especially through the first chapter, hopefully you understand you and I are Jonah. Now, don't be discouraged by this. Do not be discouraged by this for a number of reasons. Don't be distressed because like Jonah, our God is such a redemptive God. He's redemptive. And he has a plan of redemption that's already in place even before you walked through these doors or before you ran home or anything else you did this past week or, or throughout your life. Our God is a redemptive God. He's got a plan to redeem things that we feel like are impossible to fix, to restore things that we feel like are impossibly lost in our lives, to, to bring reconciliation, to bring wholeness to broken messes that we call, of our, call our lives. Like, this is, this is who our God is. This is what our God is, is all about. See, last week, we had the chance to marvel at this incredible God who has the power of change. I mean, he has this power, uh, and what an incredible superpower, because that's really what it is. No one else on the planet has the power to, to change anything. I can't, I can't change anything. Look, I've tried to change my wife for a long time. Just, it's not working, okay? Now, she, I think she has some of this, because she's changed me in a lot of ways, uh, but, but the reality is, is we don't have the power to change anyone. We don't have the power to change anything. That's not, that, that is not a gift that any of us have. We constantly, as parents, we're trying to what? Change our children. Let me, hey, son, you're not seeing this clear. Let me, let me help you. And we can do our best to kind of orchestrate and kind of create the, the pathways that we think are healthy for them. But at the end of the day, the only one that can change this is God. The only one that can do anything about this is God, is the Lord. And, and he's so patient with us. As we've learned here even from, from Jonah in the first, first chapter alone. Now, 
Here's what I know we have to, as we're walking through this journey, as we look at a God who has the power to change, I've discovered that, um, that every single one of us in existence, every single one of us from the beginning of time till now, God has to walk us down, I think, a time of brokenness in our lives. He has to. Now, I'm not saying you have to like it. I'm not saying I even like it. <laughs> no one asks for it. No one looks for the trouble sometimes in our life. No one looks for the storms to be invited into our life. No one asks to, to, to walk through traumatic moments in our life that we would just soon, soon as just forget it. We, we, don't want, we don't want to think about it anymore. No one asks for these things, but the people that I have seen are closest to the Lord, really understand that this intimate relationship, they have not only have a huge message coming from them, they've had a huge journey of storms and trials to get them to that place to speak that message. And I think that's what God is doing in each of our lives. This is obviously what he's doing in Jonah's life. God had a plan and has a plan to use Jonah and the Jonahs of this world, which is all of us, and he's got a plan to speak a message out of your life, but, but there's some work that has to be done. I think all of us have to agree and understand there's some work that has to be done. Not maybe, not possibly, like I have to have things chiseled out of my life in order to move forward in a healthy way. I have to have my life manhandled, if I can say those words, by God in order to get to a place of where I even see God. And you can see that even in this first chapter of Jonah. I've discovered that Jesus does what is necessary over what is easy in our life. Right? Like, easy, easy as this is, I, I can come to you and, and you can say, you know what? I know exactly what would be required to get me to this place. And, and so we orchestrate this, uh, this maybe like, okay, God, I could do this, and I could do this, and I can do this. And, and if you do this, then, then, it can, then it can change me. Then it can shift, shift me in this place of where, where you are, and, and I'll finally see you, and I'll finally listen to you. Now, we sometimes have this thought in our mind, but the reality is, is God knows that that won't change us. God doesn't give us that opportunity to craft out our own plan because he knows our own plans fail even us. God is constantly doing what is necessary rather than what is easy. Because I've always shared this with our staff and I'll share this with you and I think I've maybe even mentioned this to you before. If it's just right for us, it's too small for God. And make no mistake, God wants to do something very big in your life. He wants to do something big in each of your life individually so, not just corporately, not just as a family, even though he wants to use you as a family, but corporately, indiv individually, he's got a plan for your life, and it's a big plan, and so therefore, it has to be bigger than us and the things that we can orchestrate in our life in order for God to produce and bring us to that place of where that huge message and that huge plan can play out of our life. This is Jonah. We're Jonah. This is the journey that we've been called to walk. Now, if you grew up in a family like I did, I grew up as the youngest of four boys. I got beat up a lot. Just, where's the youngest? Any youngest in here? Okay, you know. Yeah, yeah, you were the, you were the target, okay? I was the target growing up. I was just, uh, I was the default. 
I was the, I was the, I, I, I don't know how else to say it. Like I was the default kid that if I was anywhere in the vicinity, my brothers would like sense me, find me, and just for the pure pleasure of destroying me, they would attempt to destroy me. So, um, and if you're watching, you know it's true, David and Andrew, okay, all right? Um, so I grew up with these four boys, no girls in our family, a lot of testosterone, and uh, my brother's continually would, would pummel me at different times, but there's this one game that they used to have that they just loved doing all the time. Loved it, loved, loved, loved. And, uh, and they, would, they would basically hold me down, and maybe some of you know where I'm going, and they'd sit on my chest with their knees, like on my arms, like in this crucifix, because I was, I was being crucified in those moments, you know? And, and then they'd be smiling and laughing, and, and then they would take their finger, and they'd just start tapping on my forehead, just slowly. Now, in the beginning, guess what? It doesn't bother me. It's fine. I'm, I'm fine. That doesn't bother me. And then, and then a minute would pass, and two minutes. And, and it, at the beginning, it's just a nuisance. Just bother it, you know, it's just like, get off me, come on, stop this, blah, blah, blah. And then my brothers, they just laugh and they just keep tapping away. And then after five minutes, guess what? You got a little red dot, like right there, okay? And, uh, and that, that red dot becomes a little bit more sensitive and the skin around it and becomes a little bit more painful and they just keep tapping away. And, and I'm trying to hold it in. I'm trying to be, I'm proud enough to not cry out or anything like that. And, but then all of a sudden, after 10, 15 minutes of my brothers doing that, like their nails feel like razor blades, like just like spears, like jamming into my head, and, uh, and finally at this point, it just got to a point where I finally was just like, ah, and I yell out, I cry out for help. There was this moment that I, I could no longer stand. There was this line that finally crossed where I'm like, ah, mom, dad, help, and my call my parents in, and my mom would come in, in the name of Jesus, stop, you know, and she's trying to break all this fighting up, and, and, uh, and this was... This was my experience growing up as a younger brother, the youngest brother, actually. But I began to think about this particular experience because I think it echoes a lot of the things that we end up doing in our own life with the Lord. See, we try to hold out. We try to endure. We try to handle all the pain that's coming in our life. And, and at first, it might seem subtle and, and might leave a, a residual mark, but then eventually... Eventually, it, it becomes painful. Like, like it, there was a, a line, there was a point that I came to that I had to cry out for help. And I think as I was reading this story in Jonah, you and I have been reading this story, like there's this place that I think God had to bring Jonah so that he could once again cry out, cry out for help. Like, what's that line in your life? What's that place that you need to get to in, in life? What's that, what, what does that look like before you're willing to actually ask for help? Cry out to the Lord once again. Malachi chapter 3. As I began to read Jonah chapter 2, I think Malachi chapter 3 kind of embodies this God who's so redemptive. See, our God really, he's really interested in you. 
If you're thinking that he's not, then you don't, you've never really understood this love letter. Like, see, God is so interested in you. He loves you. He ferociously cares for you. He wants what's best for you. And what's best for you sometimes is really hard to get to. Sometimes he's got to do hard things in order to produce the right things. But we don't like the hard things. In fact, we try to run away from those things. In fact, we, we love to turn the tables and say, God, you don't love me because you're allowing this, because I'm walking through this. Once again, Jonah wasn't asking for the storms. None of us are asking for the trials in our life. Sometimes they're produced, though, because God is trying to do so much more. But I want you to hear the heartbeat of our God. And Malachi chapter 3 does an incredible job in verses 2 and 3. I want you to I want you to see what this, this says here. It says in Malachi chapter 3, he says, but who will be able to endure it when he comes? See, what an incredible question. Like, see, we think we can handle it. But see, who, who can, when Jesus shows up, when God shows up, like, who can really, who can really endure, endure it? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal. Or like a strong soap that bleaches cloth. He will sit like a refiner of silver. Think about this. He's refining you like silver, burning away the dross, the excess, the extra. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver. Now, is he doing that because he's a, this powerful God and he's an angry God and he's just trying to just show off all that he can do and, and, and try to hurt other people and, and try to kind of march on his chest and just going to be like, I'm God and you need to know it. And No, it's, he's doing these things in your life. He's bringing the storms in your life and in my life so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. See, some of us think that we're, we're offering sacrifices, and some of you are like, you throw a couple bucks in the offering, or you go on a, missions, a small little missions trip, and, and, and you kind of you check the boxes, and, and, and then sure, you know, we feel like those are sacrifices, and, and we're, you know, we're given to the Lord, and, and God goes, no, I, I don't want just something about your life. I want everything about your life. I don't want just some, some afterthought. I don't want to be on the peripheral I want you to begin to once again offer acceptable sacrifices that please me, that bring me glory. See, this is, this is our God, and he knows what he's trying to produce in your life and in my life. He knows what he has to do in order to get you to that place. He knew what he had to do in order to get Jonah to this place. And he's constantly pulling this excess out of our life. He's constantly chiseling us and refining us and purifying us. This is our God. He's not trying to be secret, secretive. He's not trying to, uh, to do anything other than to go, I know you're going to. I mean, if, he, if we could have just this honest conversation, I feel like he would say, Joel, I know you're going to hate what I'm about to do. I know you're not going to like it. And the truth is, is I 
I know you would never ask for it yourself. But see, I know that there are some things in your heart that I, just, I still don't have. Like there's some things in your life that you're still unwilling to offer me. See, Joel, you don't, Joel you, what you don't understand, Jonah, what you don't understand is, is I've got a message that I need to speak through you and it's not going to come out and it's not going to be clear and it's not going to bring me the glory and it's not going to have the weight and the power behind it until I bring you to that point of where I'm the everything in your life. Until I, until I bring you to that place of where I can finally do something great. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But I promise I'm not done with you. Winston Churchill made this statement. He said, no matter how hard you want or try, you can't control the tornadoes of, of life. You merely have to respond to them. Like we can't control the plan. We, we think we can and we can do our best. And some of you uh, have maybe spent your whole life trying to orchestrate all of your life and how it should play out and, and have 2.5 kids and have X amount of money in the bank by X amount of age in your life and, and to have this kind of job and this kind of spouse and, and have all these things lined up and, and we're, we've done and we fought to try to do all these kinds of things, but the reality is, is you can't control the storms in your life. You can't control the things that you think that you can control. Control is a myth, especially when you look at a sovereign God. See, our God's at the helm, whether you want him to be or not. Our God is at the helm, whether you believe in him or not. See, God doesn't go, oh, now you believe, okay, now I'll step. No, God, God knows all. He's in control of all. He, is, he has got a plan and a path and a message that he wants to speak out of each of your life. So how far did God have to push Jonah? I mean, chapter one, how far did God have to push Jonah to get him to finally, to finally cry out for help? If you guys have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter two. Follow along with me in, in verse one. If you don't have it, it's gonna be up here on the screen. And let's see how far God had to take Jonah. Jonah chapter two, starting in verse one. Then Jonah prayed, to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. And he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters, they engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head, and I sank down to the very roots of the mountain. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're not done with us. Thank you that you are a redemptive God. Thank you that you're a patient God. 
and you know exactly what you're doing. God, you're introducing things that are necessary, not always easy for us, Lord. God, thank you. Thanks for not being finished with us. Even when we give up on ourselves, Lord Jesus, you still don't give up on us. So, Jesus, I just pray that you would work a mighty work this morning. Chisel deep things in our life so that we can once again serve you, speak on behalf of you, and be a part of how you're moving. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you remember the end of chapter 1, the, the sailors... They gather Jonah up, they toss him overboard, and so Jonah falls into the water, the storm, what, stops, and he's floating there, and then God sends this fish, a large fish. Now, again, like I said, some of them, some people consider it, it was a whale, some it was just a supernatural fish that God made that had a large enough mouth, that had a large enough stomach in order to house Jonah, and so this aquatic uber comes by and claims Jonah in this moment and holds him and carries him and he's there he brings him to the depths of the sea is what he says I mean, this is the language he said he said I, I from the land of the dead into the depths of the ocean I sank down to the heart of the sea I mean Jonah is using some really graphic language here because he wants you to understand this moment he wants you to understand he, he's inviting you in to see what he sees to feel what he feels to almost experience what he's experienced but think about it for a moment think about this fish of whatever kind it was swallows him can you imagine this moment He's in this, this belly of this large fish, and the stench is probably horrific as he swims around in the stomach acids of this beast. There's decom- things decomposing all around him. But I think, I think for me, and maybe for you, I, I think the two things that would, would absolutely paralyze me with fear in those moments would be the fact that I'm all alone. And I'm in complete darkness. Like, like Jonah, man, he, he, is, he is at the bottom, like pun intended. He is physically at the bottom. He has hit the bottom of the barrel. He has hit ground floor. There is no place else to go. He has finally got to this point And it's, as you read this, the language that it uses, he thinks his life is over. He actually actually thinks he's he's in hell. And I'm wondering this morning if some of you, you, you feel like you're at the bottom. You feel like your life is over. I'm sure some of you probably do feel like that. You feel like I'm in hell. Like things cannot get any worse. Maybe that's where you are. This is where Jonah was. Darkness. Everything dying around him. And I think he rightfully felt like this. 
encased in absolute darkness. I think hope would be stolen away from just about all of us, brought to this point of despair. But can I ask you, could there have been any other prescription offered to Jonah that would have brought him there? I don't think so. I don't think so. See, once again, if we offer our plan of redemption, we'll just continue to stay right where we are, as we are, walking the way we've always walked, seeing life the way we've always seen it. But God moves in, in the loving way that he does, and he goes, no, I've got a plan for you, and it's going to be super hard, and it's going to bring you to the very bottom. And it's going to bring you to this place of where you feel like there's nothing but despair and hopelessness that surrounds me. Because only there, only there can I finally get attention. See, I look at my life, and you can look at your life even right now. And if you ask yourself, what did it take to get my attention? What did it take to bring me to this place to where I finally saw and heard and spoke to God once again? See, you think you know, but you don't know. Like God knows exactly what that looks like. God knows exactly what is required to bring you to that place. And no one asks for it. I didn't ask for it. I mean, I look at my own life, and and I don't have time to go into my testimony, but the reality is is when I was a child, I I didn't ask to have asthma so bad that hospital stays were irregular. I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for for my my twin brother to have a degenerative hip disease that he would never walk again. I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for my dad to later on go off to war whether he'd live or die. I, I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for uh, my, my brother Andrew walking through a huge battle of cancer. I didn't, I didn't want that. I didn't look for that trouble. I didn't ask God to paralyze me when I was in, in my sophomore year of high school from the waist down from a football injury. I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for my senior year having my knee blown out two different times, taking away my football career. I didn't, I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for God to take two relationships that I was in that was at the point of engagement and God ripping them away from me. I didn't want that for my life. I didn't want God to introduce me to my one day wife, Michelle, and then taking her out of my life for five years because of my stupidity and sin. I didn't want that. I didn't want God to humiliate me in public and absolutely expose everything about my sexual addiction and pornography in a very public way. I didn't, I wasn't looking for those moments. I wasn't looking to to travel around to six different states, to six different churches all around this country to do ministry and only to to tear my bicep and be sent to a desert place in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I didn't ask for any of that, but that was God's plan. I didn't ask for it. And what I'm trying to tell you is everyone has that story. Everyone could get up here and share a similar story. It could be different, but there's a story that God is producing in your life to bring you to that point of saying, I've got to get your attention. I've got to do what is necessary, not what is easy, in order to speak the message out of you I always intended to speak. And it's not going to be, it's not going to be a cakewalk. Joel, I know you're going to hate this, but... 
but I'm going to do this because I'm not done with you. We've got to move away. We've got to move away from this idea that God can't do anything that he wants. I mean, really. Like, we, we love to talk about God's love, and we love to talk about God's, uh, the good stuff, you know, the, God's faithfulness and his miracles and his, and his blessings. Like, we love hanging out in that category, but then, and, and, and that's the God we like, so we create this God that, that superficially only allows those things in our belief of God. Don't include the judgment, don't include the discipline, don't include the, the chastisement, don't include that, because that just feels icky, that feels wrong, and and our God's a God of love, but he's not a God of justice. No, you can't pick and choose God because then you lose God. God is, is, you have to take God for every part of him. His justice, his mercy, his chastisement. You look in Hebrews, he goes, I'm the heavenly father and I chasten those that I love. It's gonna be hard, but make no mistake, I'm ready to use you. You see, God is constantly, constantly working He's constantly maneuvering in your life. He's constantly pulling things in and he's, and he's ushering things back, or pulling things out and ushering things back into your life. See, the language that Jonah used speaks of absolute pain. And he's tired. I just, he doesn't say this, but it's almost like he does say this. He finally goes, I'm done. God, I'm done. I'm done fighting against you. I'm done trying to, to run in the opposite direction. I'm done seeing the lives that are just damaged all around me. I'm done. I'm done seeing, seeing uh, my life not turning out the way that I want it to. I believe that Jonah's cry for help is not only descriptive of his physical situation, but I think it finally finally landed hard on his own heart. It's descriptive of what's going on in his heart. I'm at the bottom, God. So here's, here's my question. Are, are you at the bottom? Are you at the bottom? Are you finally at that place, or do, do we need a couple more steps? Are you finally at that place? Because what I know is, is that calamity, the calamity in my life and the calamity in your life, if not always, produces confession. See, we don't like the trials, we don't want them, but calamity in my life and calamity in Jonah's life finally produces confession, finally produces this cry for help. Jonah 1 and 2, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, the God from inside the fish. It says, I cried out, I called to you. Uh, maybe it was the combination of the storm. Maybe it was the pain that he caused others. Maybe it was the traumatic shock of being swallowed by a huge fish or being brought down to the bottom of the seas. But I'll tell you, at the end of that, he finally turned his eyes to God once again. It took all of that. And God knew exactly what it was going to take in order to, for him to finally Look at, and so in verse one and two of chapter two, it was the very first time that Jonah finally talked to God. Do you know that? 
Chapter 1, he doesn't talk to God at all. God talked to him, but he never talked to God. And here's just a gut level check. If you're not talking to God, that's usually an indication of something going on in your heart. If you're avoiding that conversation, it's usually because it's an indication that you're heading in a wrong direction. You're doing your own thing. I don't want to include God into this journey. But for the first time, the calamity finally brought the cry for help that God inevitably was trying to produce in his life. The calamity brought about confession. I think there's three elements that we can learn. Three elements that are in a cry for help to God. And some of you maybe are there. Some of you maybe not there. Some of you have been there and know exactly what I'm about to talk about. Like, there's, there's some elements that I think in a genuine cry to God, God, I'm at the bottom. I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. This was Jonah. He's, he's in darkness. He's at the bottom of the barrel. He literally can't go anywhere else but up. And I think the first element that we would find in a cry for help like that is a cry for brokenness. Brokenness. Some of the most godly men and women I have ever known in my life with the biggest messages coming out of their life have been laced with deep, deep trauma and tragedy. They've been broken. They've been broken. And it's not, oh, I'm sorry, God. No, it's, God, woe is me. Why? Why do you even turn your eyes on me? It's that, it's that moment. It's all of a sudden they finally see themselves for the way that they need to see themselves and finally see God for who God is. And they cry out in brokenness. I mean, Jonah's in darkness. He's, he's, he's in a belly of a whale. The circumstances seem to be choking his life out. When you look at verse five, he says, I sank beneath the waves. The waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. Does it feel like life is choking you out right now? Maybe, maybe God's trying to get your attention. Maybe he's trying to say something to you. An element of any cry to help to God is always going to include brokenness. And if you're not there, Joel, I know you're not going to like this, <laughs> but... The second part, second element I would say is in any cry to help to God would be a cry of invitation. See, when we, like Jonah, Jonah prayed to the Lord from inside the fish, Jonah goes, I have zero control of my situation. I got no control. So, so God, I'm inviting you into my current circumstances. I'm inviting you to interact with my life because I've got nothing. Jonah had zero control. He couldn't do anything about anything. And so he cries out to God and says, God, you come in. You usher yourself in, into this moment, into this broken moment where I feel like my life is being robbed of me. I'm at this point of despair. I'm at the bottom. I'm inviting you in. And make no mistake, every time you pray, it is an invitation. You're saying, God, come in. Do what I can't. Please handle this. Do this. Like, God, I'm inviting you in. This is my cry. This was Jonah's cry. I think a true cry to God is that invitation, God. I cried out 
to you, he says. I called to you. But then the third element is a cry of salvation. A cry of brokenness, a cry of invitation, but then the third and the final, when we're really crying out to God, God, I'm, I, I'm done. Would you save me? Like, I, I keep trying to save myself. I keep trying to, to do uh, what, I, I, what, what I think is necessary in order to fix and repair my marriage, in order to fix and repair my kids' lives. And, uh, God, I can't, I can't do it, so I'm inviting you in, and I'm asking you to save me from myself. Save me from my own choices. Save me from the path that I've been orchestrating my whole life. Like, save me, God. Like a true cry for help. I, like these elements can't not be found. God, I need you. I pine for you. I want you. Please. Like Jonah had no other options. This is how our God constantly works. Do you realize that God, God is tired of being just a mere building block in your life? He's ready to be your foundation. Do you see the difference? See, we we constantly go, okay, God, I'm building my life, and we'll stick you here. We'll put you right here. That's, that's a great spot for you. And, and you, you know, you're present, and I'll, I'll bring some stuff to you, and that's pretty cool. And, and you're going to be on the east swing, but I'm going to hang out on the west side of things. And so, you know what I'm saying? So if you're from California, I'm sorry. All right. You know, I, I don't know. Okay. All right. But the reality is, is, is we love God being a building block in our life, but God forbid if he's the foundation. See, because God is looking at your life holistically so, and here's what I know about God and how he always deals with us. God has to often tear down existing structures in your life in order to lay the foundation that he himself wants to play. He breaks everything down. See, God doesn't rehab old structures. He always makes new. But make no mistake, A.W. Tozer says it best in his quote. He says, the bottom is often the hardest place to get to, but the only place God is willing to build from. It's the only place he's willing to. Don't give God some second, second choice. Mm-mm. He's not after that. And make no mistake, God will not settle for that either. So you can say, okay, God, I'll put you here, or I'll put you here, and, and I'm good with that. That's okay, and I only have to give you this, and I only have to offer you this. God goes, no, I need to be the foundation of your life, just like he did in Jonah. He had to bring Jonah to this place of where there was no place else to go. Jonah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to step in and be the foundation of your life. Because the truth is, is, that's the only place I work from. I work from foundations. I don't work peripheral. I don't work as a side note or a footnote or an afterthought. I work as the foundation. And if you're not ready for that, hey, Joel, I know you're not going to like this. I know you're not going to like this. But see, I got such a message I want to speak through you. Every single one of you, God has a message that he wants to speak through. And it's bigger than you. It's bigger than your life. It's bigger than everything you think is important in life. And he wants to speak it through you. You know why? Because people out there need to see it. And they need to hear it. And they need to understand that there's a God who loves them in the mess that they're in. And the brokenness that they're walking through. Stop ignoring it.
Start stepping into it. But are you at the bottom? Hey, church, are you at the bottom? Are you finally there? Like, does God have your attention? Have you, have you finally gotten to this place where there's no place to go but up? And listen, it's not prescriptive. Every life is different. So the bottom looks different for every single one of you. For some, God can whisper and you're there. But for some, it's a whole lot harder journey. And he's got to crush you in order to use you. But don't, don't get weary in the crushing. Don't get weary in the darkness. Don't get weary because I'm telling you right now, God is ready to build off the foundation that he's about ready to lay in your life. He is. We have a redemptive God. Because here's the, here's the good news in this moment. You ready? Verse two. Verse two. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. And many of you may be there this morning. And he answered me. He answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. There is not a cry for help that falls on deaf ears. Even before you have the idea, even before it's, on, it's literally on your lips, God's attention is fully yours because he's a heavenly father that is working ferociously to become the foundation of your life so that he can build the greatest things he always meant to build in your life, to pull the greatest purposes out of your life, to take every skill that you have that think is good or bad or, or even non-essential. And God goes, I use everything in your life in order to speak the message of hope that this world needs. I'm gonna take it all. Nothing goes to waste in the hands of a mighty God. Do you realize that? Nothing. So don't think that your skills or think what you have to offer is pointless. God wants to use every part of your life. And he's gonna, he's gonna just like, a, like pulling poison from a wound. He is just gonna just pull it all from you. And only God can create the foundation in your life that you need in order to come to that point. See, the moment we have our first thought, to cry out to God, we, he, we have his undivided attention. I wanna share with you as I close, Daniel chapter nine. I'm not gonna go throughout his prayer, but I want you to understand, I want you to hear that this is the God that we serve. Like, like I want you to understand that, that this God has been doing it in times past and he's doing it in times present, but I want you to hear how loving and how undivided our God is, even to your whispers. Listen to this in Daniel chapter nine. This is Daniel, he says, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain, as I was praying. Not at the end, not when everything was done, not a couple days happened, it's while I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in an earlier vision came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He exclaimed to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment, I love that, 
The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I'm here to tell you what it was for you and you and you and you and you and you are very, very precious to God. You're very precious to God. You got the God of the universe's undivided attention. He's not deaf to your cries no matter where you are in life. And he's ready to become your foundation. The question is, is are you there yet? Are you there yet?